Uh, Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, encourage us today, challenge us today, help us focus more on you even today. We thank you, Lord, for your continual and awesome faithfulness. We pray that you would help us to be faithful as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, I disparaged productivity systems a little bit for their ability to bring us any kind of lasting peace, and therefore today I will begin with a productivity system just to balance things out a little bit. Uh, What's more, this system is surprisingly simple surprisingly effective and comes from a rather funny source. Uh, But that being said, for all its simplicity, its power comes from being deeply rooted in human psychology. The method goes by the name, don't break the chain. And it works like this. You're going to decide New Year's is coming. You decide on a new habit, a new pattern, something you want to implement in your life. Then you go by a big paper calendar and a thick red marker. You hang the calendar somewhere very, very obvious. And and that first day, because it's easy on the first day, you do what it is you're supposed to do. And then you go to your calendar. You find today and you take your big red pen and you make a big X, corner to corner, all the way through January 1st. Simple enough so far. Now it's January 2nd. You do whatever it is you're supposed to do on that day. Again, same big red pen, X through the box, number two. Now here's where the magic starts to happen. Because as the name implies, you have now started a chain. And as the name implies, now the goal is don't break the chain. So tomorrow, you do it again, you add another X, three in a row, good job, let's get the momentum going. But now let's say it's the next week, which means you've already held most of your New Year's resolutions farther than most people, but it's day nine, because you're using this new technique, it's day nine, it's day ten, wherever it is, and it's one of those days you don't want to do whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. You're, you're busy, you're not feeling well, you're tired, so you don't want to go to the gym, you don't want to eat well, you don't want to wake up and pray and read the Bible, whatever it is for you. But while you don't feel like doing whatever it is you're supposed to do, you also don't want to break the chain. I mean, you can see you've kept this thing going. I mean, it's pretty odd. There's just big red X's all the way across one whole column, and you're all the way on the second column. And if you mess up now, you're going to have to start all over. And so not because you want to do whatever it is, but because you don't want to break the chain, you dig in and you do it again. You mark your X. And each time the chain gets a little bit longer, it gets a little bit stronger. This is going to be important. Each time the chain gets a little bit longer, it gets a little stronger. Because a mess up is going to feel like it costs more. Funny enough, this system comes from the comedian Jerry Seinfeld, uh, and it's his system for building habits and getting stuff done. Um, I don't know why he has a productivity strategy, but he does, and there it is. Uh, It seems overly simplistic, but we all know that we need help sometimes, because the reality is that we all experience all the time, it is hard to stay faithful, really to anything. 
I mean, for you, how, how do you do the right thing when you'd rather do anything else? How do you do what's hard when you would rather do what's easy? How do you do what's good when you'd rather not? Especially as we recognize that too often the right thing tends to be the hard thing tends to delay any kind of reward, tends to come with a cost. How do we live out our faithfulness when it's hard or costly or uncomfortable? While we think about that for a moment, let me back up and remind us where we are and where we're going. Uh, In this series, as we move through Advent towards Christmas, we're focusing in on the very small line from the Christmas story that maybe we can relate to a little too much in this season of busyness and stress and overwhelm. In Luke chapter 2, it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and she placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Because there was no room for them in the inn. And as we've moved through Advent, all the way to Advent 4, I wonder, has there been any room for Jesus in our lives as we prepare for Christmas? Because, of course, the reality is that there's often less room for Jesus during this season than any other, which is ironic since this one's supposed to be all about Him. But therefore, during this Advent season, we're trying to to carve out some room for Jesus. As the song says, let every heart prepare Him room, which reminds us you actually have to prepare room. It, It doesn't just happen. You have to make space. You have to prioritize time. You have to reserve the room because otherwise our hearts will be filled with too much of everything else and there's always a lot of everything else at Christmas time. And so as we work to prepare him room, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, as we prepare our hearts with more faithfulness. While you're turning there, I also want to give you a warning, because we're going to start in a rather unusual place at the beginning. Uh, In a moment, we're going to be talking about Joseph's faithfulness found at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew. The problem is that's not actually where Matthew begins his gospel. Instead, he begins with, of all things, a genealogy, a list of names, of relatives, of generations. And for us, as we read the Bible, there are few things more boring and less relevant than a genealogy. There are a couple, but this one's near the top of that list, Uh, in part because we, we... We have very little understanding of or interest in or need for a a genealogy of someone else. We don't know what it is. We don't know why we care. Because a genealogy isn't just a family tree or a who's who. Instead, it's the story of a people. It's the shoulders that our lives are built upon. It's the foundation of our faith. It's who we are. What's more, Matthew's genealogy is something even more unusual because he's preparing his readers for something unexpected and wholly unbelievable, Uh, even though for us it'll still just sound like a bunch of names in a row. 
Matthew seems to simply be taking us from Abraham all the way to Joseph with some notable highlights along the way, but that's not all. Because Matthew is going to start to group the names in sets of seven. And if you remember, the number seven is important in the Bible. It's kind of the number of perfection. And so Matthew's going to list out seven names and then another seven. And then he's going to do a third seven and a fourth seven and a fifth seven and a sixth seven, which means it's going to be building to a seventh seven. As if this whole story has been building to this final culmination in this number seven, seven. Let's see who that ends up being. And bear with me as I, most of these I can do, some of these are weird. Uh, Let's read Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheetel, Sheetel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Elakam. Elikim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Amen. 
So after all of those names, Jesus is the seventh, the seventh seven. This is a big deal. God must be about to do something wholly unbelievable and new, and yet also connected and consistent with everything that's been happening thus far. Either way, part of Matthew's point here is sit up, pay attention. This will be amazing. And with that as his setup, Matthew then dives into the story of the birth of Jesus. And of course, that starts with Mary and Joseph, who are pledged to be married. Again, remember, pledged to be married is more than engaged for us, less than married. So it's something kind of in between those two steps for us. And then she ends up pregnant, and that's not supposed to happen. Uh, and oh, the mess of this whole situation. The best that Joseph can come up with as he tries to do the right thing is to try and shield her from some of the coming scandal, which is pretty chivalrous, and yet what else can you do? especially when by the rules of their society, he doesn't have to do that. But then an angel shows up and gives him another option. Interestingly, the angel steers Joseph toward what's harder, not just legal, but maybe more faithful. And when Joseph wakes up, he does what he's commanded to do, despite what people are going to say, despite what people are going to think, despite how much more difficult this will make life. Joseph believes the angel and chooses to follow, chooses to be faithful. And here's my question. How does he do it? How does Joseph do what is faithful, despite it being hard? And maybe what can we learn from him? Part of the answer may be that Joseph has a different perspective when it comes to faithfulness. Because for him, faithfulness seems to be more communal and faithfulness seems to be more cumulative. And I want us to talk through those two different ideas, communal and cumulative. And so let's see if we can learn something from Joseph's faithfulness. The first thing that I'm struck by as we talk about Joseph's faithfulness is how faithfulness is communal. It's connectional. There's something about faithfulness that goes beyond just me to you and to us and then back. Put another way, faithfulness seems to beget faithfulness. As we look at Joseph's story, we see that he has been faithful to the law and he has been living faithfully, which seems to be helping him continue to live faithfully. Our passage tells us he was faithful to the law. So he's got an X and an X and an X all, on all these different days, so he's going to try and keep the chain going. I've been faithful. I'll be faithful. More than that, we can see that Joseph lives within a community of faith, which helps him to live faithfully as well. Joseph is concerned with what others will think, and that's not always a bad thing especially because in this case, they want him to live faithfully. And therefore, he feels the pressure to live out that same faithfulness that everyone else is living in. Because, of course, faithfulness has an impact on the faithfulness of the people around us. 
And the faithfulness of the people around us has an impact on our own. Something about faithfulness adds, it it multiplies, it extends further and wider and beyond, while also having a deeper impact and effect on us as well. As we are faithful, it helps others to be faithful. As we are not faithful, it helps others to not be faithful. And yet, maybe this is something we miss as we struggle with our own faithfulness or lack thereof. Maybe too often we see our faithfulness as being only about me. It only affects me, and therefore I don't care as much, ironically. But what if we saw our faithfulness rippling out from us to each other? What if we could see how my faithfulness affects you and your faithfulness affects me? If Joseph is faithful, it affects the whole community. If Joseph sins, it affects the whole community. If the community is faithful, it affects Joseph, encouraging him to be more faithful. And while we don't like this in kind of our Western individualistic culture, it does make sense when you think about it for a little bit. Frankly, it's normally easier to see it in the negative than in the positive, but I think it works both ways. If, for example, I were to lie or gossip or backslide in some way or other, that has an effect on me, sure, erodes a little bit of my integrity, but maybe that also has an effect on you as well. So, hypothetical situation. I spend a little bit of time gossiping to you. First, you just became an accomplice. Congratulations. Uh, You will now be more tempted to gossip because you have this new news. This is good gossip. If I'm going to gossip to you, it's going to be good gossip. So you now have good gossip. You're going to be more tempted to share that with someone else. You will now see the person of this, even if you don't believe me, you're going to see this other person differently now because of this gossip. You may start to see other people who are like this other person differently because of this gossip that I've given you. You're now going to start to see me differently because you now know I'm a gossip. So you're not going to tell me quite so much. You're not going to unburden yourself so much to me because you don't know where that's going to go. And you will be changed because you may start to see gossip as not quite so so bad anymore. I mean, if, if Pastor Tim's a gossip, I mean, that, I won't be that much of a gossip, but I could probably split the difference a little bit and I'll still be safe. Suddenly, gossip doesn't feel as bad anymore. Notice this one little sin buries itself deeper and deeper and goes further and farther out. Interestingly, though, what is true of sin is also true of faithfulness because it ripples outward as well. Though this one's harder to see. Let's say I privately, all by myself, choose to do... There's a choice that's before me, and I choose to do what's right. And let's say that's completely unknowable to you. I don't brag about it. I don't reference it. I don't tell you about it in any way, shape, or form. And yet, that act of faithfulness starts to do something in me. It changes something, restores something, heals 
something, just a little bit in me, which makes me a little bit more whole. So now when I interact with you, something of that goodness now changes the way we talk, the way we interact towards faithfulness. You are affected because of that one choice I made to do what was right. Again, simple example, but on the odd chance I, in a morning time, read a Bible or pray, even if that doesn't have that much effect on me, that may change how I interact with you, which then changes how you interact with someone else. And there's a ripple effect of faithfulness because faithfulness is communal. It affects us all. It's almost like there's a larger momentum to faithfulness than we normally see. As we are faithful in the little ways, it helps us to be faithful in the bigger ways, and it helps others to be faithful as well. Of course, that momentum isn't just in us, it's in people around us, but it it also is cumulative from before and beyond us. Which brings us to our other point, the cumulative nature of faithfulness. And we see this in how Matthew structures this this whole chapter, reminding us Joseph's story comes from within a much larger context of faithfulness. I mean, in many ways, from Matthew's perspective, Joseph's faithfulness is simply the culmination of all of his much larger family tree of faithfulness that has come before. Because in looking at Joseph's faithfulness, we also recognize the incredible faithfulness of the generations that have come before him. Joseph is a descendant of Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Joseph is a descendant of David, a man after God's own heart. Joseph is a descendant of Josiah, a king who pointed a wayward people back toward God. That's not to mention Ruth or Hezekiah or Zerubbabel, which is not just fun to say, but a cool character as well. What's more, let's also recognize Joseph would have known this lineage of faithfulness, which makes me think, I wonder if that helped him to be faithful. Well, I wouldn't do what the angel said, except my great-great-great-great-grandfather was David, so I probably shouldn't. My great-great-great-grandfather before him was Abraham. So maybe in this moment I could choose faithfulness. I wonder if he expected or demanded more of himself because of those who came before. Furthermore, we know that he's not going to be the end of this line either because he's about to have a son who will be the one to save the people from their sins. But this, I think, is where it's helpful for us to see how faith is cumulative. If you are a part of a people like that and a future like that, then maybe it's worth being faithful in the moment because you can see how it has mattered and you can see how it will matter. Because you don't want to be the one who breaks the chain. Especially because you can see the impact that the past has had. And because you can see how it will still matter in the future. 
But maybe this is also part of why it's so hard for us to do what is faithful, because we don't like thinking that way. We think that our faithfulness is only about us. And therefore, it's hard for us to believe that our faithfulness is built on anyone before us or how that might affect anyone after us. Because our faithfulness seems to only matter for us. That's how faithfulness seems to work. And yet, what if we saw faithfulness as that that chain, that we're connected, that it's cumulative, and so our faithfulness matters beyond us? Now, you may be thinking, well, sure, sure, but you don't know my family. My family tree looks a little bit different. There's a lot more nuts on the branches of of my family tree than on, on others. I mean, sure, sure, this is great for Joseph. He's already in the Bible. Uh, His ancestors are Abraham and David and Josiah. Oh, and by the way, his son's name is Jesus. So, I mean, he's kind of got it made there. I mean, you could argue if Joseph isn't faithful, Jesus will still be Jesus. Of course, it matters to him. Clearly, you haven't been to one of my family gatherings. And yet, maybe we have a deeper heritage of faith than we often realize. In other words, your faith and your faithfulness may not just be a function of of your biological relatives, but maybe also your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents in the faith. Conversely, you may not have any children, or your children may have a more circuitous route to and around and through the faith, but that's not to say that we don't have any influence on many of all of the ages that come after us. Too often we forget that we each have an impact on the children, on the students, on the adults, even just here in this room, let alone throughout the rest of your life. You might be a link in someone else's chain of faithfulness. We are called to be faithful because we know those who have gone before us, who have been faithful, the saints of the faith who helped you along the way. And we know that we are to be that kind of people who help those coming after. And part of the way that we do is by living faithfully, by choosing the faithful option, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging, even when it's costly. But of course, before we're done, we have to recognize that our faithfulness is actually rooted in something even deeper. And we see it in our passage. Because the angel tells Joseph that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Because he is faithful. More than that, he will be God with us. He will show us God's faithfulness the lengths God is willing to go to to be faithful and to show us His love. Because at the end of the day, you see, it's not even our faithfulness that ultimately matters. It's His. And because He is faithful, we are then called to that deeper level of faithfulness as well because it's ultimately His faithfulness that our lives get built upon. It's His 
faithfulness that allows us to be faithful as well. As we all continually live out this communal and cumulative faithfulness for each other. Let us pray. Lord God, especially in this season, we thank you for your faithfulness. That you were faithful to Abraham and Sarah and David, Rahab, so many others. That you were faithful to Joseph and to Mary. And that you were faithful to us. We pray that you would help us to prepare our hearts for this season through faithfulness. That we might choose to do what's right even when it's hard. That we might choose to follow even when we don't see the way. That we might choose to be with you because you have chosen to be with us. Lord, help us to be faithful like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.